Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, July 18th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. I'll be here for an hour or until we run out of questions. Totally up to you. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything goes. We can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, politics, COVID, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join me. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get through. I'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. 855-950-3835. Come on over and check out the websites healthytribe.com and truckingtribe.com. If you're listening on anything other than our app, you should get our app. It's uh, pretty amazing. Great way to listen to the show. Uh, It is released now and we're constantly improving it. So check that out. You can find it in your app store, both iOS and Android. All right. So One of the things we've been talking about for a while, and it's certainly not going away, and we're actually a part of it, the supply chain. We keep hearing this term, the supply chain, and our supply chain got pretty messed up during COVID seems to be what really kind of kicked it off, but I'm wondering why it's not getting any better. In fact, in a lot of ways, it seems to be getting worse We're dealing with shortages. We're seeing um, a shift in where things are going to be produced. But, you know, we have um, the ports are kind of a mess. The, The West Coast ports, we've been talking about them for quite some time. Doesn't seem like they're getting any better now. Uh, because AB5 has gone into effect. There are protests at the ports, and it seems like the railroads are really slowing down. There's a possibility of a railroad strike. Uh, I think the Biden administration just announced that they're getting involved in those negotiations. Oh, boy. Imagine that. We have a union, the railroad, and now the government. Ah. can't imagine what those negotiations are going to look like. But the supply chain issues do not look like they're going to resolve themselves anytime soon. It looks like they're going to get worse before they get better. And we still have COVID to deal with. It looks like COVID's back again. We have the new variant, which is dominant now, BA5. I think there's some sort of a conspiracy here. We have AB5 and now we have BA5. I don't know. I think there's a conspiracy theory in there somewhere. Um, We've got COVID to deal with now with uh, the new variant uh, BA5 seems to be very easily spread. Each new variant seems to spread more easily than the last. Does not seem to be all that deadly at all. Um, yet they're talking about new vaccines already and California. Parts of California are instituting indoor mask mandates again right now. Uh, unbelievable. Um, 
it's just it just seems like this is never going to end and if we do have big outbreaks this fall of of ba5 which i would expect that we will uh the one thing we have to realize covid's here it's not going away ever this is just a thing we have to deal with now and you know, if you look at it, I'm not going to get too deep into the whole vaccine thing. I'd like to. And one of these days, I keep saying I'm going to do a show about this. But the evidence is just overwhelming and it doesn't slow down. The evidence of how bad that vaccine really is, uh, is kind of incredible. And yet still not being talked about much. So this fall with COVID again, it, things could get really interesting. Uh, one of the interesting stories right now around the vaccine, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, um, Australia. Uh, Australia is getting hit hard right now. They, they locked down hard. They're an island. It was a little easier for them to control, but they got crazy they were putting people in camps and the police were using drones and license plate readers to make sure people didn't leave their house and uh it looked like it may have worked even when it looked like it worked it's not worth the consequences of that of taking away people's civil liberties of just totally killing economies but the problem is now because you know Go back and think the whole idea. Remember a lockdown for two weeks, flatten the curve. Everybody's got to get vaccinated. Slow things down until we get a vaccine because the vaccine will fix everything. Well, that didn't happen. The vaccine didn't fix anything at all. In fact, most of the evidence now is pretty clear that honestly, when it comes to BA5, if you're vaccinated, you're more likely to get it. Looks like it's even possible the death rate is higher for vaccinated people. Uh, it's hard to tell because they really screw up the data. But we're, we're not done dealing with COVID, and it's still going to have an impact on our supply chain. So what do you do in a situation like this? I, I've talked about it before. I have a long open, but it's nothing new, nothing I haven't gone over before. And it looks like the calls are starting to come in pretty heavy. So um, I may come back to some of this, but big picture, in times like this, you get very conservative. You protect your cash. You don't make big financial decisions. You get very conservative. You play defense. You protect your cash. And with this kind of inflation running at now over 9%, you pre-buy consumables. That's, that is the best use of your money right now. There's nothing to invest in right now that makes any sense Some people would argue gold and silver. I think gold and silver is too volatile and too risky for most people. It's too expensive to invest in those with the fees if you don't understand it. Uh, There might be a reason Um, gold and silver are protection uh, in inflation, but you should know what you're doing. Other than that, there's almost no place right now. Uh, Real estate is not good. Stocks aren't good. Bonds aren't good. Nothing right now is worth investing in. So pre-buying consumables really is your best investment. If you have any questions about that, pick up the phone and join me. In fact, if you have any questions about anything, pick up the phone. Let's, uh, let's get started in Minnesota. Carl, welcome to the program. 
Hi, Kevin. Uh, I went to do a post-trip inspection this week, and I found some oil, like a layer of oil on the top of my surge tank there for my coolant. Okay. Um, it is a glider, a 2016 glider uh, series 2.7, and it only has 570,000 miles on it. Okay. So, you know, am I looking at an oil cooler dispose or, or maybe liners? I was looking for your opinion, I guess. Yeah, so the first thing we want to do, are we positive it's oil? Could it also be fuel? Well, it's black and slimy. Okay, more than likely it's oil. And then. it's just a layer well, right on top. Well, yeah, that's oh. because they're not going to mix. Um, so that's right. Uh, so if it's oil, it could be oil cooler. It very seldom ever is, though. Uh, it's much right. more likely to be a cracked head or a head gasket. Um, are you pressurizing oh. the system at all? I mean, is it? You know, it's not. Okay, so it's not pressurizing. Not, not excessive pressure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not excessive. And, you know, it's not blowing it all over. And I've had cracked head gaskets and cracked heads before. And usually it's kind of all over the place. No, not necessarily. In that corner of the uh, engine yeah. We, oh, Yeah, okay. we, we can have them with no real external clues at all. The, uh, do you oil sample? I do. Okay. What, have you had an oil sample result since you found this oil in the coolant? No, I have not. Okay. I would get an, how many miles are on the oil that's in the engine right now? Uh, 20,000. That's enough. I would get an oil sample because if we've got coolant in the oil, yeah, if we have coolant in the oil, then still we could go back and look at the same thing. It's possibly an oil cooler, almost never seems to be. Um, We'd probably be looking at cracked head or head gasket. Okay, that's kind of what I was thinking. It it runs like a top get great fuel mileage. You just can't tell until you look at that surge tank and then it's it's black. Yeah. Yeah, the oh. there there are times where on some trucks there are other places where oil and coolant can mix. Typically, if you have any kind of um, uh, no, that's mostly fuel. This is oil we're dealing with. Okay, um, yeah, let's sample that. That be my first step. Okay, I I got a question also about kind of what you just said with money. Um, I just bought a $5,000 I-bond that my my investment gal put me onto, and she says it pays better with inflation, and right now, I want to think that she told me 9.6%. Correct. Do you have any knowledge about that? Yeah, I, I talked about I-bonds a couple weeks ago. Um, I-bonds are probably, oh, okay. yeah, I-bonds are about the best investment going right now. Um, we're basically saying okay. they're, they're paying about 10%. The biggest reason I don't talk yep. about them a lot is they're so limited. I mean, I can only buy $10,000. That, that's it. So yeah, that's exactly what they told me. Yeah. So it, it's an awesome investment right now because of the inflation and the way the market is. So I, I did talk a little bit about this. If you've got some cash putting, you know, the whatever you can get into an I bond, there are multiple ways. I think you can each 
Uh, if you're married, each person can do it. If you have a business, I think the business can even buy some I-bonds. Um, if you've got a financial planner, they can hook you up with all the details. That is a one place to park some cash right now. Once you do that, then there's really not a whole lot left to do except sit back and watch. Or, like I said, pre-buy consumables. Yeah, yeah, we have a... We have a hoarding shelf in the basement, and Good. we got cash, and Good. then the iPhones. That's about it these days. Yeah, and that's so, that's okay. A, that, that's that a, works for me. Yep, that's <laughs> about all you can do. And other than that, you sit back and watch for opportunities because at some point they will be coming. Let's go to Ohio this time. James, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I got a a few questions and. So what I'm dealing with, I have a 2011 uh, International Pro Star. It's got the Cummins ISX-15 in it. And I operate in and around Ohio, and I have the fleet air filter in it. And what I'm noticing, this phenomenon, is when it's raining, it, the turbo, it makes like a really weird, like surging noise is the best way I can describe it. And I lose pretty much all boost. Um Currently, it's, it's raining pretty heavily here in, in Ohio, and I'm traveling east from Columbus towards Cambridge, and there's a few hills here and there, and pulling an empty dry van, and um, it's, it's got no boost. I've got uh, sensors, codes going off left and right. Um, I pulled up a couple codes uh, on my phone. I have a, a, like a code reader plugged into my um, nine pin so I can at any point just go ahead and pull up codes that are flashing and it's mostly boost pressure boost turbo speeds things like that and it only happens when it rains it's like the the, the air filter is getting so much water in there that it's it's like waterboarding the turbo and it only happens when it rains and I've not experienced this with the uh, the typical you know uh, paper filters do you have any insight or info on that well, the filter itself shouldn't have anything to do with this. Have you pulled the filter out and it's wet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's wet. So um, if you stick a paper filter in and then you drive in the rain and you pull right. it out and it's not wet? No, I, I believe it is wet. I mean, obviously with the foam, you can kind of feel it a little bit better that it, it is saturated as opposed to the paper. It's got that corrugated feel to it. So you can't really well, get... We, the density, you know, the, with your hands. Yeah, the the issue isn't the filter. The issue is why is it? Why are we getting so much water in there? Uh, the best way, I mean, as I can look down through my uh, driver's side window, right, almost directly where the wiper blade is, and that's the opening for the air intake. And it just, I imagine, in a heavy rain, it's just pulling in a lot of water, and then just as it accumulates, it's suffocating the turbo. And I'm trying to figure out is is this common with this type of vehicle, or am I just the anomaly in experiencing this that nobody else is? Um, I'm actually, uh, hold on one second. Um, I'm going to see if we can uh, possibly get David Counts on the phone. Um, I've never heard this before. So... It, Okay. Here's what I would do for now. If it, it really is happening this way, that when the fleet air filter is in there, we're losing all this boost when it rains, and it's not happening with a paper filter, I'd put a paper filter back in till we figure this out. 
Okay. And that's essentially what I was calling to see if anybody else was experiencing this or maybe yeah, you guys I, already covered this and I just didn't hear it. Uh, yeah. I'm, like I said, I have Angie reaching out to uh, David Counts right now um, to see if he's ever heard. Uh, now, this might be something very specific to this model of truck and engine combination. It's got, you know, a, mm-hmm. right. it's got a different intake and we are getting water in there, which seems odd because, I mean, getting water on the paper filter wouldn't be good. Um, but I've never seen one get so much water that we actually started interfering with boost. Okay. Let me also ask this. Um, do you know of any drawbacks or reasons why I shouldn't put like drill holes into the air filter housing so that I can draw air from a few other areas. And the reason I ask that is when I pull the fleet air filter out or I'm checking things, um, right where the opening is for it to draw fresh air from the outside, it's, you know, pretty crate, you know, caked up with dirt. It's pretty dirty. And what I typically do is I just, you know, turn the, the filter about a quarter turn into it's like a, a you know, cleaner area on the filter and I, I do that, you know, two or three times, and then I, you know, clean everything off, things like that. And I'm curious, is there a drawback that you know of that I shouldn't drill maybe three-quarter inch or one-inch holes yeah. around the housing so that it's pulling air from the place of least resistance? Yeah, the drawback is you're you're going to pull in hot, dirty air from under the hood. And that's worse than drawing in what I'm drawing into the intake and just... Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the that idea that you just talked about where you turning your filter a little bit because you take it out and you can see all the dirt's hitting in one spot. You know what that really tells us? Mm-hmm. And, and David at Fleet Air Filter works on this constantly. That's a poor design. I mean, that's a, that's a poor oh, design for an intake filter and a housing. And, and your truck isn't the only one. They're almost all like this anymore. It's like the air intake system is the last thing that's designed. And we just cram it in wherever mm-hmm. we can with no real, you know, thought about airflow. And this issue here where we might be getting too much water and dirt in from the outside. But th- this is why we draw air from the outside, though. You really don't want to draw air from under that hood. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the only other uh, final question I have is this ProStar does not have a boost gauge. So, um, and it's got a million sensors. Um, I've ordered the uh, scan gauge KR to your store, waiting for it to arrive. And my question is, in the event that it just does not have a boost gauge at all, and I buy one, how is it wired to where I'll get the reading through the KR and not necessarily like, an, like a, uh, a physical gauge. So if, if there is a sensor to the ECM for boost pressure, mm-hmm. then we're reading it from the ECM itself. If you want the Correct, most, we'll be, yeah, if you want the most accurate, so we're not dealing with electronics and, you know, Things could be altered in the signal. If we want to know it's absolutely accurate, you put in a true mechanical gauge with pressure, you know, where we're pulling right off um, the boost sensor itself directly to a mechanical gauge. I see and kind of bypass the ECM altogether. 
Correct. Yeah. But if you have it in the ECM okay. and you can read it in the scan gauge and it's accurate and it usually is, it, that's a good number too. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not sure if this even has a sensor. There, I, there's no way for me to know. You know, uh, I think the gauge I, cluster that's on here. Yeah. You know, every truck now is so proprietary, but I think all of these things have to, the ECM has to have some idea of boost for all kinds of things. So I, I'm, I, 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 I wonder why it wouldn't, they wouldn't just take the extra step and put a gauge in that. That makes no sense. Oh, like no, it makes room to- for it here as make, I'm looking at the cluster. Makes total sense because the accountants build trucks, not the engineers. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's it. it it's just cost. I, you, you know, you think, oh my God, I'm spending $150,000 and you won't put in a $30 gauge, but that's how it works. You know, because where does that end? Okay, you put in a $30 boost gauge. Well, now I want this gauge too. Oh, you know, it only costs a little more to put it, and pretty soon now you've got a $180,000 truck, um, which is what we have today anyway, but uh, that's going to change. Now, that that's why, I mean, you, you would be shocked at how they really, really have to watch pennies when they build these things. I got you. So it's possible that it does have the, the sensor reading the ECM. I'm just not seeing it displayed. Correct. Okay. Well, I guess I'll find out when I get your scan gauge in, and I'm looking forward to utilizing that, and I appreciate that. So I'll just, uh, you know, keep tuning in, and hopefully get some feedback from Fleet um, Air Filter on this if I'm just the, you know, odd duck in the room or, if, you know, more people are experiencing this. Yeah, I'll check um, with them. Are really you horrible today. Yeah, are you uh, a member on Trucking Tribe? I am. That would be a good place to post this, too. Actually, that's going to be my next step. I yeah. want to get as much feedback as I can to see if it's just an international pro star issue or, you know, maybe yeah. I've got some other issue going on. Yeah. So, um, Fair enough. Angie hasn't gotten hold of David yet, but I'll, I'll follow up with him because I'd like to know myself. But post it in truckingtribe.com, and then when I get an answer, I can just go put it in on your post. Fantastic. I appreciate the help, sir. Thank All right. You. Thanks for the call. Yeah, if you uh, if you have any experience with that, even any other truck model where you get too much water in the uh, in the intake and it's actually fouling up the filter. Not sure what happened to the calls. We had a run on them in the uh, beginning and then they all disappeared. Um, I could blame it on the uh, the Saudis, maybe. Uh, We haven't heard much from the North Koreans lately. I used to blame everything on them. I will tell you, though, that uh, there has been unusual solar activity lately. Uh, It it even actually made the mainstream news um, about a week or so ago. I was reading some articles about uh, kind of a, a sunspot that, that had popped up out of nowhere that they were watching. And I have an app that actually monitors all of the solar activity and I get warnings and um, we're actually starting to see some auroras much further south than normal. And there's been some unusual solar activity recently. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And the reason I brought that up with the phones is because a lot of times this you know we have internet issues or phone issues or that is because of solar activity 
Uh, it's one of the things we monitor with solar activity. Even small amounts can sometimes interfere uh, with electronics and communications. Big amounts uh, can be devastating. Um, it's an interesting topic. You know, if you've uh, we've talked about other countries hacking our grid, you know, the electric grid, we know that they're in there. Uh, lots of countries are, have, are in our grid all the time and looking for vulnerabilities. Uh, we've talked about an EMP, which can wipe out the grid, but there is another totally natural phenomenon that could take down the entire electric grid. Uh, and honestly, we've been pretty lucky so far. The uh, it, It's basically a um, like CME a coronal mass ejection. So you get these sunspots and then you get these CMEs where these sunspots kind of explode and shoot out crazy amounts of energy. And the only reason we haven't seen one of these, you know, be really devastating is when you think about this, the sun is spinning the earth is spinning and when the sun shoots these things out which happens fairly regularly big ones small ones um with all that turning and we're rotating around and we just they have to hit us directly and that's where we've been pretty lucky now, historically, there was a big one, and I think it was 1859 called the Carrington event. Now, prior to modern civilization, prior to electricity, we wouldn't have even known that these things happened. They're not dangerous in any way for us, really, as human beings. They're dangerous to the electrical grid and electrical devices and appliances. So it's hard to know if how often this happened in the past because we wouldn't have known. Uh, since 1859, we kind of understood. Um, back then, we had telegraphs. Telegraphs were big. Telegraph terminals were catching on fire because this CME pumps so much energy through that electrical system. Well, think about today, how complicated our electrical system is and how everything we do now, um, you know, touches electricity. We did have one, it was somewhere in Canada. I'm thinking, was it in Ontario? I don't remember. 1989, the entire grid went down for about 12 or 13 hours. I'm sure somebody... Um, that experienced that will remember the details. I may have gotten some of the details wrong, but uh, that was a pretty big one. That was a totally natural event that took that down. So it, it's not a matter of if it can happen. It can absolutely happen. It's happened before in the past. Um, remember, though, again, this is like very directed. So the sun would have to be pointing in the exact right spot. And depending on where the earth is in the rotation would depend on who um, would get hit by that. So it might, depending on where the earth is in its rotation, it might hit the U.S. It might hit China on the other side of the planet, depending. But it would be devastating today. And at some point it's going to happen. 
there's just, like I said, it's not a matter of if it'll happen. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. It's just when will it happen? Where will it hit? How big will it be? Um, let's, uh, boy, the, the calls just, uh, calls just keep dropping. Um, not sure what's going on. They show up, then they drop. So I, I am, a couple of minutes ago, I had a d- bunch of calls. Now I got nothing. So if you want to jump in, you can right now. I'll try to figure out what's going on with the phones. Uh, 855-950-3835. I promise if you dial in right now, you'll get through. Uh, all right. So back to some of my notes from my open then, cause I didn't get to them all. Um, I talked about the economy, the numbers, where we are right now, and none of the economic news is good. I mean, I, I really just can't find anything. The other thing I'm, I'm more worried about this time, um, is that, you know, if we look at the downturns in the past, uh, we had the downturn in the 90s, kind of the late 90s, the dot-com bubble was part of the problem. Um, we had a downturn after 9-11 because, you know, we severely restricted travel and the travel industry got hit hard. Uh, 08 was mostly about uh, real estate. Uh, that was the real estate bubble where we got hit pretty hard there. Um uh, Right now, though, it's looking like everything is going to take a hit. And we have a whole new category now. We've got crypto, which we didn't have back then. Uh, They're all getting hit pretty hard, though. So this one is definitely going to be different. And honestly, we can tell that already. Um, I, I remember... The, the 70s and late 70s into early 80s, crazy high inflation, uh, even worse than we have right now. I think we might have peaked at like 12.3 back then. Um, we're hitting in the nines now, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down. Um, so it looks like everything's going to get hit hard this time. Uh, there's no doubt about it. When we're going to know, it's hard to say. I still don't see the bottom at all. Uh, a lot of things make this one, you know, much more difficult to predict. Um, lines are open. If you jump in right now, 855-950-3835. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Yeah, on that guy with the International, he's 709 Mac, and every time I'd go to the truck wash, and one time when I was just taking like a garden hose and just hosing out the uh, the bug screen on the, on the grill, that thing would derate. What my shop found is there was a bad wire connection under in the front of the uh, under the hood somewhere around the engine. Oh, interesting. Wet, that thing would derate for about well, a half an hour, then it'd heat up and dry out, and I'd be fine. Yeah, that and that makes sense, and we've seen that before. I think the only reason I'm not thinking that this time, that that's a possibility, it seems pretty clear that it's only happening with the fleet air filter and not happening with the paper filter. 
Well, and he wasn't sure about that, remember? Because he yeah, said he had right. tried to put the paper back in. Right. So we're not now, positive. So now that, another that, thing that too, is something to look at. Yeah, now another thing, too, take me back to the old cab over days. Because, you know, on those, the air intake right there at the top of the grill by the radiator. And Some. the truck I had had a uh, restriction, yeah, and had a restriction gauge in it. Every time I'd run through heavy rain, that restriction gauge would go up. And when the filter got wet, but the engine never missed the beat. Yeah, some uh, I had several cab overs that had the snorkel behind the behind the sleeper. Um, you okay, know, this one had it right right in the front. Yeah, yeah, getting. Uh, getting a little bit of water on the filter wouldn't be that big of a deal but when we're getting enough water in there that it's affecting boost and we can see it something's wrong and and i could see I'm where a farm electrical it's possible certainly something to look at one of the things again and that's why i kind of told him you know go back on a heavy rain day put that paper filter back in and see if we still get the problem I think he will. So I think it's more electrical than water. It's certainly possible. I mean, we do see that. Okay, well, sir, that's all I had. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to California. Juan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, Kevin, I wanted to understand or ask you uh, about an asset bubble. I was... Uh, studying uh, market crashes recently and uh, a market crash in 1929 apparently a lot of people invested in the market and uh, it crashed for whatever reason my question is when people invest in the stock market it causes particular stocks to go up correct if the stock is overvalued and it crashes what happens to the revenue that's invested Obviously, it gets lost. But where does it go? Boy, let me try to figure out how to explain this. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm asking the question right. But well, maybe <laughs> it we... It sounds like you needed some callers today, so I wanted to ask you. No, this is a good question. I just have to think through. So, stocks perform similar to most other things, and, and that is the okay. price of almost everything in a free market is dependent on supply and demand. That, that's, okay. Yeah, so, and stocks are no different. So when a lot of people start buying a stock, that stock price will go up. There's more demand for yeah. the stock, and there's a limited number of shares. So if there's more demand, there aren't more shares, so the price goes up. When there's less demand and people are selling that stock, then the price goes down. Uh, that That's pretty much how it works. Now, let me try to figure out how to set up this. Where does the value go? Um, have you ever seen crazy stuff we've seen this with collectibles now and then like uh i don't know pokemon sure. cards all of a sudden somebody says oh this particular pokemon card is worth a thousand dollars right sure yeah well that doesn't last right i mean there were pokemon cards that were no, worth of thousands of dollars that are worthless now where did the value go nowhere it's just gone it left with the demand i guess i get it yeah it's just yeah. It, it's just gone 
Yeah, because no one's going to pay that anymore. In other yeah. words, the, the hype or the excitement is gone. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, here's the other thing we have to remember that nothing has any real monetary value. We assign monetary value. Sure, what we're willing to pay for it. Yeah, and basically that's that happens by supply and demand. I mean, that's the beauty of a free market is everything gets priced the way it should be. It's priced based on there's this much of it, this many people want it, that will determine the price. Right now, it's why fuel is so expensive all around the world. Everybody needs diesel and there's not enough of it to go around. Sure. That makes sense. So then in the instance of the 1929 crash, there was a, a basically a stock market bubble at first. Uh, what causes something like that at first? Or the same thing with the 2008 real estate crash? Just people no longer can afford the debt associated with it? Well, stocks and real estate, there's one different factor. They're, they're very, very similar, except there is one factor that can that makes real estate even more complicated. And that factor is real estate is one of those things that 99% of the time when real estate is bought, there's a mortgage involved. That confuses the issue because now we have two prices that will affect the sale and the market and the price. We have the price of the property itself, but we also have the price of borrowing money to buy the property. So when mortgage rates go up, then real estate tends to tank because we have the, the price to buy certain real estate now is out of reach for some people. So that will affect yes. the supply and the demand curve. Um, you can gotcha. borrow money and buy stock. It's called buying on margin. It's not very common. Tends yeah. to be more professional investors that do it that way. What, what causes these bubbles? Um, typically, it's something that either encourages or allows more and more people to get into a market. And when we're talking about investing, yeah. yeah, And, and then, you know, we get the, who knows what causes some of these crazy run-ups. I can remember I was in one of the absolute hottest real estate markets in the country in 08 for years. It had gone back and forth between Orlando and Las Vegas Yeah, where more houses were being built and sold, Orlando was an absolute hot spot for real estate in 2008. And I I was a certified financial planner at the time, so I was dealing with clients and people were coming to me and saying, oh my God, I want to build a spec house and sell it as an investment. I'm like, that's the stupidest idea ever. But they're like, yeah, but my brother-in-law did it and he made money. And I said, yeah, that's going to end at some point. And, you know, it's like musical chairs. You don't want to be the one without a seat. And we, here's part of the reason. Remember, I said real estate has that other factor, mortgages. Uh And what was happening in 2008 is they were doing anything and everything they could do to a mortgage to get more people to go buy a house and to buy a more expensive house. Because the mortgage determines how much they'll, they'll qualify for. So at, at one point, yeah. I thought we had, you know, gone totally off our rocker because they were giving zero interest mortgages. 
Did you know that was happening? Yeah. Uh, recently, yes. Uh, yeah. In 08, it was it was rampant. Zero interest. Yes, zero interest mortgages. That sounds yeah. bad, doesn't it? Like hot, it does. Yeah. It got worse though. There was a time at the very end in 08, they were issuing mortgages. I forget, what did they call them? Negative equity mortgages. I forget the term for them. But the way the loan was structured, your monthly payment didn't even cover all of the interest on the loan. Yeah. So the, your, your mortgage got bigger every month instead of smaller. Because you were, your payment wasn't even paying all of the interest. It was paying no capital. And because it wasn't yeah. paying all the interest, the interest kept getting added back into the loan. They only did that for one reason, to get more people to be able to qualify to buy more house. And that's what led yeah. to that bubble. The prices, I, 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 yeah. I can remember talking to an appraiser and he said, we don't even bother to go out and look at the house anymore. He said, we don't have time for one yeah. thing. There's so many houses being sold, we can't get to them all. He said, we basically just look at the last week, what's sold, and we add a couple percentage points. Well, when you keep doing that, of course, you're just going to keep driving the price up. So that's what created sure, the, yeah. the... Now, what what can create a stock market bubble? Well, typically what happens is too much hype and more and more people start getting sure. into the market. I've always said that when you start hearing stock tips from the you know person getting your coffee at Starbucks or the cashier at the grocery store, yeah. then it's time to get out of the market. Yeah, it's around the other way. I remember you said the contrarian theory, right? Yeah, it, it when when the average yeah. person is excited about the stock market is when the professionals start getting out. That makes perfect sense. So, in one of the documentaries that I watched, the uh, leading up to the crash in nineteen twenty nine, there's a huge run up in the stock market, and a lot of banks. Uh, basically we're giving out loans to the average citizen to invest in the stock market. Oh yeah. So that's a really that bad idea. Essentially a bubble. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, and uh, when the market crashed, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I want to jump in. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just had a thought, kind of an okay. analogy. Yeah. Um, too much money creates bubbles and bubbles are going yeah. to break. Well, why do we yeah. have rampant inflation right now? Too much money. Yep, yeah. the government pumped trillions of dollars into the economy. Yeah, here, here's another great point. So I listened to another uh, podcast, this guy named Richard Werner. He's a, a British economist. He said that uh, he studied the uh, Japanese economic crash last like 20 years. I don't know what exactly what it was. 1990s. Yeah, the, long, yeah it started, when it, started yeah. in the 90s. And it was 20 plus years that yeah. Japan really suffered really stubborn, but he says that anytime the government injects what he considers non-productive cash into the market, it basically creates inflation. Yes. It, uh, it's money that people are going to basically take and just spend it on things that aren't going to produce jobs or anything really of value. It's just it's spending money, essentially. It causes inflation to go rapid. That, that was his theory. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
when you yeah. when you inject money in and make the money easy, then that disrupts yeah. the supply and demand curve. You know, the more money people sure. have, the more demand there will be for things. Part of the reason our, our economy got so screwed up and it's it's hard to figure out is COVID and the lockdowns caused a shift in what we spent money on. And at the same time, yes. the government just kept giving people money over and over and over. But you couldn't leave your house. You couldn't go to stores and restaurants yeah. and bars and cruises and vacations. So we yes. started buying stuff. Duff. That's why, you know, Jeff Bezos is so rich because we were buying lots and lots of stuff from Amazon. And then then we had the opposite happen. Then because people were so sick of being home and not going anywhere, as soon as things opened up, we shifted back again and started spending more on services instead of stuff. And it's just been disruptive. That makes perfect sense. Definitely. Oh, I think I got it. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Love talking about that kind of stuff. Let's go to Iowa. Rick, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. What's hey, on your uh, mind today? I'm 37, I'm 37 years old, and I just uh, here about a year ago. I know it's too late, but just started investing for my retirement. But I figured late, better late than never. Well, actually, congratulations. You, you probably, no, not probably. You're starting much younger than the average American. Okay. Okay. Well, so I started out just with a few hundred bucks a month and it raised it up a little bit. But, you know, it's not a lot, but it's, I guess it'll add up after time. Yes. But the market's doing what they're doing now. You know, I, I know a lot of people say, don't ever look at your don't ever look at it just put it in and, and walk the other way is that still what i should be doing you know obviously when you look at it now anything that i put in besides the initial amount there's been virtually no gain on it but would you recommend just still still doing what i've been doing and yes continue to put in yep yeah at, at 37 and just getting started on your plan Absolutely. We don't want to try to time the market. We don't want to say, oh, no, the market's going to go down. Let's wait. And we'll just buy then. You, let's look at how unpredictable the market has been the last couple of years. It's always unpredictable. Last couple of years have been crazy. Um, during the COVID lockdowns, you know, we were hitting 25,000 on the Dow. Horrible drop. Um but hindsight is easy to look back and say, oh, my God, we should have bought at 25. Well, of course we should have. Um, but back then, I can promise you, nobody thought we should buy at 25 because we didn't know if the world was going to open back up again or not. You, you can't know. And, and that's the problem. When you look back, you go, oh, well, look, we should have known. Right. That's why we have the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty because it makes you crazy. But you can't know what's going to happen today in the stock market. Do you have any idea whether the stock market's going to go up or down today? No. No, we, we, could have, we could have a 2,000-point drop today for all we know. We could have a 2,000-point gain today. We don't know. Um, so you can't time the market. It's too volatile. So instead of timing the market, we do what's called dollar cost averaging. We put money into the market every month, month after month after month, no matter what the market is doing. 
Well, and I just heard that other caller call in about some I bonds and stuff like that, you know, and I didn't know if it's if you should look at different avenues rather than just invest it all in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, this is where a good fee-based certified financial planner can help because if you didn't know about I-bonds, how would you know about I-bonds? Um, we're talking about them a lot now because the way inflation has changed the whole market, now these things are paying almost 10% interest. You know, I've talked about the fact that we keep comparing this current situation to the late 70s, early 80s, because that was the last time we've seen numbers like this. And back then, we actually hit a point where CDs, bank CDs, which are completely safe, no risk of losing money at all, and they were paying 10% interest. And I-bonds, you're limited. You can only buy 10000 a year. CDs, you could buy a million dollars worth of CDs if you want. And they were paying 10% interest. That's why I'm telling people cash is king right now. And, and I would be sitting on cash now. But you should also be investing for the future at your age. And if you're going to be in the market, then you just stay in and you invest month after month after month. All right. Thanks for the call. Yep. You're welcome. Let's go to Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I was calling uh, to just get your advice on giving out rates. So uh, in the past, I've worked for mostly the same guy with a good relationship. I just tell him, give me three bucks a mile every mile I run. No problem. He pays it. So now they have a new thing starting they want me to do, and it's only 21 miles run from low to, to the first receiver and then go back to another one. He said it'll be around 12 or 15 loads a week. Some days you'll do one, some days you'll do three. But he wants me to have three trailers to do it, which I have, and they got to be dropped there. But if I use the mass I've always used, that only comes out to like 80, 100 hours a load, oh, which yeah. ain't, ain't obviously enough. No, not even close. Not for how much time. Well, what do you time? do when the miles get under there? Then I start looking well, at time. Well, that's the thing. If I go and do three loads, three loads, it'll be like 10, 10 hour day. If I do one load, it'll be like a three hour day. Yeah. Well, so let's look at that then. You're making uh, three times 21... Uh, what are you making on a round? Is it $3? I, I didn't give him a rate yet. Oh, that, okay. So at your regular rate of $3 a mile. Um, oh, it, it'd We're, be like 126 bucks, I think. For three hours. So think about that. That's 40, yeah. 40 bucks an hour. No way. It's just you right. can't afford to run your equipment like that. So when the miles are short, then right. we, we, we base things on time. So what, here's what I would do. The, this is where having good accounting pays off. I would look back historically, and we've got enough time this year. I would say, look, from January till now, based on my $3 per mile rate that you've been paying me, my truck net or, or grosses, let's start with the gross, my truck grosses $85 an hour or whatever the number is. You can go back and calculate that. 
You know all your hours. You have a logbook. You know the numbers. They're there. Yep. We just go back and calculate what the truck average is per hour when we're doing $3 a mile on a long run. And then I would just say, look, I, why would I work for any less than that? I mean, I, I'm just going to keep pulling this $3 a mile over the road freight then. Unless you can match my hourly rate, I'm not interested in this stuff. So doing that, like I, I, I did that math somewhat and it came out to around 100, 110 an hour. Yeah, well, there you go. So if I went down and did one load, one load would be 310 $330. I don't even, like if I did three loads, that's a good day. But if I go and do one load, I don't know if that's quite enough. Well, I don't know that. Three doesn't make any sense to me. If one load isn't profitable, how can three be profitable? Well, I mean, per de- like I got to make so much money. I figure I need to make so much per day. Well, well, yes, but that that's that's still not making sense to me. If you're telling me you normally make a hundred and ten dollars an hour, and we're calculating you're only going to make forty dollars an hour, you can't make that up in volume. I think I'm not saying it right. Uh, so if I if I get the hundred dollars an hour and I do three loads, that's great. That's a good day. Oh, at a hundred dollars an hour. Load, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I misunderstood. Right. I I must have missed when you said that. Um, yeah, yeah it, but if I go and do one load, it's not really enough for the day. Well, it's still way more than what it's paying now. And, I, I, it's not paying anything yet. I didn't get no, my no, thirty yet. No, when I say now, I mean under your current model with him that you just get it flat three bucks a mile. At three bucks a mile, you're only going to make forty dollars an hour. So we're, we're making two and a right, half I, I, times that at a hundred dollars an hour. But if a hundred dollars an hour still isn't enough, then that you have to decide that. No, this isn't enough. Now, what we're saying is, okay, $100 an hour, I'm happy with the rate. There's just not enough work now. That's the problem. Right. Right. For, well, for And each day, like one day, it's great. The next day, it ain't. So how do you, what do I do about How do I give that kind of rate? Well, you can't. Yeah. You can't. Right. It just, it just doesn't work for you. And that's the thing we have to re- remember. Just because we're in business doesn't mean all the work out there we should be going after. This, this might just not be worth messing with. Okay. And then how, what kind of value would you add on having to have the three trailers? I mean, I already have the trailers, but they're still tying three trailers up to do it. Right, which makes it even worse. Right. Like I said, well, I, mean, I, I got to give them a rate. I, I got to give them a rate to make it work. So I'm trying to figure out what well, to no. tell them. Well, you don't have to. You could just say, look, I'm, well, I, I want to. Well, that's a different story because I could look at somebody and say, look, I, I'm not going to give you a rate because I'm not interested in this because it's too volatile. On these days where I only get one load, yeah. it messes up my day. I can't go do anything else. But this isn't enough for me. So I... There are times where we can just say, no, I'm not going to quote your rate. I don't want that freight. Right. But if you're going to quote a rate, then you have to. Now, you could also try to find out on average, how many loads will I get a month and see if it will work out monthly. 
Well, he said it'll be around twelve fifteen a week. So. Okay. Well, which one, twelve or fifteen? Because that could make a big difference. Right. You know, 12 or 15, if I have 12 every week um, or I have 15, by the end of the month, that's a difference of 12 loads total. That's a lot. Right, right. So give me, you can't give me that range, 12 to 15. Which one is it? You, know, you should know this historically. Just tell me what the numbers have been. And then I can think of maybe I can quote you. But if you end up at, you know, you might end up saying, I need $175 an hour to make this work. Yeah. I, I, feel, I mean, they're going to, he'll most likely give me what I, they just said, give me a rate and, you know, they want the stuff moved, but I want to be fair with them. And I feel like if I give them a rate like that, they're overpaying me to do three, but I'm getting underpaid to do one. No, no, no. You're looking at this all wrong. You still have to, you have to bid every job to make sense financially for you. And what I'm trying to tell you is if, if three make sense, then one has to make sense too. There was still profit on that load at that price. There's just not enough of those loads. That's why if you want to bid this freight, you've got to go back and get an average number you can expect for the month and then say, okay, if that's what I'm going to get, I need this much on every one of them. It doesn't matter if I do three in a day or one a day. I did th- and, and because we don't know, we have to get to a point where we have a number to work with. Give me an average number for the month. Now I can price it. And if they don't like the price, well, then they don't like the, the price. Number twelve. Yeah. So go on right. twelve. I right. got to be safe. Right. So right. go. I. There's. There you go. They gave us a range. I would do exactly what you did. If you're going to give me a range, I'm going to predict on the low end of the range. Okay. And then figure it hourly instead of mileage. Yep. And just go back to them and say, "This is what I need if I'm going to commit my truck and three trailers to this freight." All right. Sounds good. And good luck because uh, you're, you're nowhere near the price you need to be right now. But he's asking for a rate, so you're doing the right thing. You're asking good questions. Let's go to Michigan. Rick, welcome to the program. Yeah. Hello, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Yeah. I, on the stock question. The reason the stocks move so much are these mutual funds and hedge funds. They have they hold so many shares. When they move, the, the market moves drastically. Unlike a real estate, which is like a one-on-one transaction. You understand that, what I'm saying? That has some impact, but you don't see individual stocks making huge runs like that. And and most hedge funds are pretty careful about that, actually. They're, they're careful about what they buy. They know they can move markets. Um, so it, it, you're right. That is happening. It's kind of built into the system already, and it's not going to change. But you're right. The, these big, what we call, um, oh, I just drew the blank on the term. Um, 
institutional investors, institutional investors, right? Because there's there's different could be a hedge fund, could be other types of funds. Um, they clearly have an impact and, and they do move markets. Yeah, what, what I think people should look at in stock is not necessarily what they think the company is worth, but what change they are bringing to the market. I gave you an example, a guy named Elon Musk, and uh, the kind of change that he has brought to society is going to have a huge effect on everything going forward, the market, society, and everything. Well, true. Part of the problem with that is by the time you figure out who that is, it's too late. Uh, Yeah, to some extent, if you don't have now. Very very few people. very few people would go back to 2005 or six and say, Oh, look at this Elon Musk and this Tesla. This is going to be a big thing. Oh, this is true. This is true. I, I think he's just getting started right now though. Oh, he's I, just I getting started. I agree. Now I, let me give you my opinion on individual stocks. People should not be buying individual okay. stocks. Okay. I, I, I understand that. That's why mutual funds exist. That's why I'm such a big believer in the S&P 500 index mutual fund. Low cost, no management fees, and it performs well year after year after year after year. We have all the history on it. Try to pick a stock that's going to perform like that, and I don't care if you're Warren Buffett. You're just, it, it's just picking individual stocks is extremely complicated. Here's the other thing. The, the way that we all, we've all heard the phrase, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Right. So you, buying one stock is really, really risky. The absolute minimum number of stocks, if you were going to be investing in individual stocks, bare minimum would be 10 companies. You really need more like 25 companies to start to smooth out the risk. Now, do you know how much work it takes to go figure out which 25 companies I should be investing in? True, true. And then it's going to change. And I have to stay on top of it. Yeah, it's just, I, it, it's a losing proposition for individuals to invest in individual stocks. Too much work, too much risk. Most people don't even understand what they should be looking for. Yeah, I, and, I understand what and, you're and saying. And let me go back I'm, to something I said earlier. When you start getting stock tips from, you know, the person pouring your coffee at McDonald's, there's a problem. That's when it's time to get out of the market. Yeah, I, I agree. But but when you see like like a generational uh, moment occurring, which is occurring now with the artificial intelligence, it's a, it's a, it's a generational. It's it's I don't know. No, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. No, yeah, I, I get it. It's it's it, we've been talking about this since 2017. We are heading into a major disruption of the entire world economy. Whether it's, you know, what this guy believes in the book I've been talking about or but things like AI, drones, um, you know, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. We are heading into a massive shift in our economy. There's no doubt about it. But tell me right now, which AI company would you invest in? Tesla. 
Tesla's, Tesla's not really uh, an know. AI company, though. Well, they're more an AI company than an automotive company. I'll say that. Well, are they? They're, in my opinion. They're a boring company, too. They're, they're building tunnels. They're putting things up in space. They're building giant batteries for Australia. I mean, that's a wild company. But my point is, you wouldn't have predicted that back in 2008. And that's when you need no, to be able to predict early. this. So which AI company, because here's the thing, Tesla's pretty much priced out right now. Will the stock grow? Probably over time, but we're not going to see giant run-ups in Tesla. So when, when you're trying to hit that big um, stock to make a bunch of money, there's an awful lot of speculation going on. By the time the company is that as established as Tesla, it's a whole lot harder to make money in their stock right now. Tesla's getting hammered right now. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, it is. It, 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 it's one thing about a stock. This thing moves up and down like crazy and that's where I followed all the correct. time and, that, and i can promise you that's the worst place for an individual investor to be they'll have ulcers and they'll lose money yeah yeah everybody has a risk tolerance there's no doubt about that See, so, here's something but, uh, crazy we don't even yeah. think about one of the reasons tesla got hammered is because elon musk is is committing billions of dollars to buy twitter Oh, agreed. How do you I, I, how do you ever predict that? I I can't know when I'm going to buy a no, stock that the CEO is going to go out and do something crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's um he he, he has a lot of fortitude and a lot of conviction on what he does. He, I think he's he's buying Twitter for the for the good of mankind. Actually, I know oh, it's hard for people to grasp. No, I I get it. He's a pretty incredible guy. The fact that his battery technology is completely open source he shares it with everybody i think he's a just a really amazing guy but i don't want to buy his stock because he's also pretty unpredictable this is true this is true well i i I make money on his unpredictability so i i I enjoy that but i understand what you're saying well let's talk about that if, if we're talking about making short-term money in the stock market, which I don't encourage people to do, I talk about long-term investing. If you're trying to make money short-term, it's almost a full-time job. I mean, that day traders, that's what they do, and most day traders get killed. But the way to make money in short-term is when you have a very volatile stock, I can make money when a stock goes up, and if I know how, I can make money when a stock goes down. So I like to, if I'm investing short term or a day trader, the most extreme short term, I want stocks with lots of volatility. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. I, I go out for a few weeks or a month. I don't go very, you know, but, but I said, I, I set limits to buy and limits. And, uh, Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it, and, and I know he's going to do something strange, it, and then, then the market will come down at that point. So yeah, it, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying that you, nobody should ever do this. That, that's not true. Lots of people make money in short-term investing. The difference is too many people think that they can just do it based on that stock tip they got from the checkout clerk at the grocery store. 
It's like most things. If you want to be really good at business, first, you better understand business. Then you better understand your business and your market and your customers and all those things. If you're going to invest in real estate, you better understand real estate in general. You better understand the market you're investing in. If you're going to trade the stock market short term, you better understand stocks and how they move and what causes things to happen. And and it's really difficult to do. And it takes a lot of time. Most people won't do all that work. They won't have a system like you've created so that any time a stock drops 10%, I sell it no matter what. You know, you have to have those hard and fast rules. Uh, if you read any of the books by famous investors, um, Warren Buffett, he'll talk about systems like that and how he was disciplined. And so there is money to be made trading stocks, but it's a lot of work and you better be good at it. I agree. I, I, I just want one last word. I, I, I think there's just so much change coming that, people just got to brace themselves for how much change there's going to be. I, I mean, agree. I, it's just, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I worked here in the automotive world and I saw Tesla and I looked at, you know, I used to look at acres of engines and transmissions and I thought, Oh my God, if this goes away. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's going to, it, it's going to, we are going to yeah. move to electric vehicles. I think it's going to take us a lot longer than most people think, but it's already happening. You know, people tend to fall into one of two camps. Oh, that's never going to happen. And it is, or yeah. it's going to happen overnight. It's like, nobody's really in the middle where reality is. Yes, it's already happening. We've been putting electric vehicles on the road for over a decade now, and it's going to every year. Here's my prediction. I'm pretty safe at this. Every year from now on for probably the next 30 years, at least every year, there will be more electric vehicles on the road than there were the year before. I, I agree totally. I think I'm that's a pretty middle, safe personally. prediction. I'm, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, th- thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Chicago. Charlie, welcome to the program. Kevin, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind? Um, I had a question for you. Um, I do uh, clean outs house clean outs. Anyhow, I got a call from a guy, uh, his father passed away and uh, he said, come over and take a look at what's left in the house. I went over there and take a look at it and, uh, we were looking at the stuff. Anyhow, he come up, uh, and said that they were going to sell the house as well. And, uh, so I started inquiring about the house. Now my wife and I had been talking about, uh, investing some money in the house for, to rent out a uh, long-term investment. Uh, we don't have any bills. All our stuff's paid for, uh, we've got a little money tucked away and uh, the guy says he'd give me a deal on the house less than what the low end of the appraisal was. And we were wondering if that's a good idea to to, uh, go ahead and do this with what's going on. You know, it's hard for me to talk specifically about that property, not knowing the price he's going to give it to you, not knowing the market. So I'm going to speak in generalities and in general, single family homes are poor rental investments you're if you really yeah you should really at least try to stick to multi-unit uh 
Now, let me ask you something else, because there's another issue here that I see happen a lot, and it's what I call um, a decision based on just because the opportunity was there. Now, prior to you going over and looking at this house, and, and be honest, prior to that, was there any talk about you and your wife buying a house as a rental property? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we've been talking about it for, we, we used to drive team, and then for certain reasons we had to come in, and uh, I had to stay home, and now she works uh, local, drives okay. local, but I just do everything, everything. So, yeah, we had talked about it, um, but then, of so, course, when everything was coming up to the big wars and, and all that, we just backed away, oh, and then well, all of a sudden well, this yeah. popped up. Well, well, good, because that was a horrible time to be buying properties as investments. Um <laughs> I still right, think it's back away completely. I still think it's too early. It, so there's two issues here that would would stop me from doing this. One, if I were going to own rental properties as investments, they would be multi-unit. Or or if it were a single dwelling, it would have to be in a very high demand area. Uh, like where I live. Uh, in the summertime here, you can't well, now, you, know, you can't get rentals here. There's just none. So even single family homes here can be set up as pretty profitable vacation rentals, not not long term, but you can do better in vacation rentals here. So there's there's two problems I have with this. Even that good price that he says he's going to give you on the low end, six months from now, maybe twenty percent over priced. We're, we're, we're on a downward market, so it's really hard to know what the value of that property is going to be when we hit the bottom of the real estate market. That worries me, and single-family homes just aren't a great investment for rentals. You, you really want to—duplexes are about minimum. Yeah, um, you know, you were talking about the area. It's in a good area. I had done my research. I've been listening to what, you for years. So yeah, I what did it, research. Tell me what a good area means. Oh, real nice, real nice school district. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, this is the this is the kind of town where you can go shop and leave your house wide open. Nobody bothers nothing. Okay, so you know what I'm saying. That's how yeah, town is. yeah. So and what, I did hear also that what that what's the rental the market last, like? Well, they said, I did my research as well on there, and they said that the last house, I saw that the last house they had put up for sale in that area had sold in two days, and there are no rentals because every time one comes available, it gets taken up. That's more of what I'm interested in. Right. I, don't, I don't care that houses were selling fast. They were selling fast everywhere. That's stopping right. now. That, that, right. that was like a faucet and, and that my, got turned off in May. But the fact that there aren't rentals available is the more important part. And that, that seems exactly. to be pretty. But again, yeah. let, let's think about this. Right. Um, give, me a, give me a rough idea how much you're going to pay for this house. Well, the house on bottom line, the appraiser was 68 to 120. It needs some paint inside, obviously, a couple carpets ripped up. Uh, but the low end of the estimate was 68000 He told me if I came in there with him a deal, I could buy everything, including what's in the house, for around 65000 
that was below. They just want to be done with it. They don't have time to go in there and clean it. We do so, it. So this could, know, well poss- this could possibly could be one of those exceptions for a couple reasons. One, you're in a good rental market. Two, we're talking about, we're not talking about a lot of money here. You know, real estate today, when I, I'm looking around where, where I am now, I, you can't touch anything around here anymore for under like $400,000. So you've got to be very, very careful with those kinds of numbers. Now, I'm not saying 65000 isn't a lot of money. Of course it is. But not in real estate, it's not. I mean, that, that's, hell, that's a down payment on some places I'd be looking at. So there's not as much risk here just because we're not talking about as much money. So th- this may be one of those times I might make an exception. Now, so that's, that's one issue, the property itself. And I, I think at 65000 plus the contents, yeah, this might be a really good deal. Let's move on to the second issue. And I know you've talked about this, but are you right, go ahead. willing and prepared to have renters? Have you thought that through? Well, well, we did. And we had talked years ago. We had got into it where we were going to buy one and we were going to section eight it because that's guaranteed money. When they had their moratorium on landlords, that would have been beneficial. But we had backed out of the deal back then. Uh uh, you know, based based on that, and we realize that most that all of it's based on your research on the tenants that you're going to put in there. You know, obviously, there's things to stay away from family, friends. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Know, those it, are the worst tenants. To yeah, have. you, you got to well, learn all those things. Learn. You got to do the work. <laughs> so, if you've talked that through and and you're willing to do that, let me throw one more thing out there. Um, and that's just what you know. Uh, property owners just went through during COVID, they couldn't collect rent for over a year and they couldn't evict anybody. That's what we had talked about. Oh my God, that that would have made me insane. I I, Seriously, I would have gone postal. I don't know how the landlords dealt with that. I really don't. You know, and another thing we learned along the way as well, I figured out is, you know, we had talked, they said, look, if you were to buy it at that low end and rehab it, put 10000 into it with siding and new windows, you know, you could get your money back easily well, because the high-end range on the house is Charlie, $20,000. Charlie, that that yep. would have made a lot of sense three or four or five years ago. That doesn't make sense when you're coming down from the top of a market and we don't know where the bottom is. Right. And my whole thing also, Kevin, real quick was I didn't want this to flip and make money. We were looking something long-term investment because we're 50, almost 60 years old and we don't have a 401k. Uh, we figure it, you say it's too late for us to get into the S and P at our age. And we had talked about this years ago. Well, let's look into real estate. Well, and then, okay, you know, obviously okay. things had happened. And- yeah, but here, I, I want you to go back to 08 and, Again, I I was in Orlando at the time, which is one of the hottest markets in the country, and homes that were that peaked during '08 at four hundred thousand were selling in the two hundred thousand range the year after that. Yeah, and and, and like I had said, you know, because I had this conversation, um, we weren't looking at it as buying it, you know, to flip you know would it be good for us to buy 
buy it and it's a long-term investment. And then, of course, like you say, what's the value of it in five or 10 years? Well, and how much, and and again, I'm almost thinking after you gave me some of the details, this may be a, a property to get your feet wet without a lot of risk. So it, this, that's what we were talking about. We yeah, it, it, see, you know, listen to you, Kevin, and you talk about the high risk takers and the low risk takers. And my wife is a low risk, and I'm a high risk, so we have to meet in the middle. Yeah, yeah, and this, this this may be, like I said, because it's a lower price. It is kind of one of these things that they just want to get rid of. They're not trying to maximize their profit. This. I, this might be one you could get your feet wet. Now, have you figured out what the rental potential is for this property? Yeah, I ran the numbers and rental properties in that Pacific town are right around 1200 a month. Okay. So we did yeah, the that's, 1200 that, a month times 12. You know, of course, we have expenses, but we figure five to six five to six years or so we'd have it paid for. Yeah, those numbers actually well, make really sense. Well, not really paid for it, we were going to pay cash for it. Right. We yeah, were going to pay cash for it. That's good. the whole thing. We're, which not, is, we're not going through no bank. Which is another good thing because that keeps our costs down because you're not paying interest on a mortgage. Um, no, I, I, you know, my right. initial thought was no, um, but I think this is one of those cases where this specific property actually makes a lot of sense. All right, Kevin, I knew I knew you'd help us along the way. We appreciate it, as always. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, oop, looks like we've got some more calls coming in. Uh, Angie, you can go ahead and screen. Oh, there you go. All right. Um, we were just about out of calls there, and then a whole bunch more just lit up. The board's been weird today. Maybe there is some solar activity going on. Um <laughs> And she's blaming it on Alf. Or, <laughs> or Mork from Ork, I think she was trying to say. Um, all right, let's... Uh, what am I doing here? Oh, I'm waiting for some calls to be screened. That's that's what... Uh, good, good topics today. I really like talking more about money investments. Uh, many times when I try to bring up this topic. I don't get a lot of calls, but we've had good calls about this today. And uh, you can keep them coming. It looks like they're coming in. Let's go to Tennessee. Eric, welcome to the program. Oh, wow. That was quick. Um, I was was just waiting for Angie to finish screening so I could take your call. (laughs) Um, you had said, uh, pay that, pay, uh, you know, if, if, uh, it's a good idea to pay that house off and use it as, uh, uh, a rental property. If it's, if it's bought, that, that's not necessarily a good idea. It's a good idea to be leveraged, even paying, uh, an interest rate on that because it takes down your risk of being sued. Um, well, hold on. Stop, no, stop, stop, it's, stop, it's substantial. stop. You got to. We got to go back and talk about this for a second. Um, I don't have a problem leveraging real estate because the money's so cheap. You know, you can leverage stocks. It's it's, it's a horrible idea for most people. Um, leveraging real estate is not that bad of an idea if you're somewhat of a risk taker because the more properties you leverage, the more risk that the whole thing could collapse. But you said something that I'm a little confused about. Why would I do this to reduce my risk of being sued? 
Well, if, if something was to happen to the house, I mean, uh, uh, it could, could be anything, the roof collapse. You know, I know you have insurance to cover part of it, but if you're not leveraged, the, 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 the ability of them to sue you as an individual because your, pro, your, your, your amount of money that you have available is higher. Okay, and, and I, we're not even going to argue that point. Here's the only point yeah, that I, I, I that's just a that's just a little thing. The other oh thing no, is that, the, that's what the, I want to talk about because you you brought that up, and I want to just shut that one down. Yeah, the odds right. of being sued for something major is slim to none. This is kind of like owner-operators who yeah, go spend the money well. to incorporate to protect themselves against the lawsuit, which it won't do anyway, and the odds are slim to none that you're going to be sued over this. If, if, there's, if there isn't a lot of money to go after here, and I understand when you're leveraged, there's less money to go after, but we're not, I mean, this particular call, the guy's buying a $65,000 property. Attorneys don't take cases that with less than a million dollars of potential to gain anymore. So if I don't have a million dollars in free assets, nobody's coming after me anyway. And the very seldom does something happen in a rental property that you get sued over. And most of the time when you do, insurance is more than enough to cover it. Well, this might actually be a good idea, but uh, I think he definitely needs to look at the, uh, the market around and uh, make sure that he can afford it if, you know, last year happens again, you know. That, that's, um, that, the, you I know, think I, he needs to look at pricing because he said $10,000 for both win- put new windows and siding in. I think he might be a little off on that. Well, he could be, but we also, I think th- this can't be a very big house if we're paying 65000 for it. I don't know. I paid uh, sixty-five thousand for a uh, thirty-eight hundred square foot house uh, about four years ago. Where the man? Oh man, that had to be Louisville, Kentucky. Man, that had to be a depressed market. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I don't think this is three thousand square feet. I didn't ask, but and you're right. He may be off on his. But again, he was talking about that as a flip. And I think I shut down the idea of trying to buy a flip today is a horrible idea. If he's buying this as a long-term well, long rental, term, it might not be a bad idea. Right, I do it. I do my flips a little bit different than most people. Most people buy a house and then they, they work on it while they're not living in it. They're away from it. Now, I do, I do my flips. I'll buy a house and live in it and then upgrade it over time. I think that's uh, a great some, strategy. Some yeah. Pretty major, pretty major upgrades. But of course I'm a truck driver also. So my time is kind of limited. So I hold on to a house for between five to seven years. Yeah. And that, where that's a flipper, a- you know, they, they hold on to a house for about six months and they do a terrible job at the, uh, the trim level in the home. Well, that's what flips are. I mean, it's all about it's all about profit and days. Time is incredibly important when you're trying to do those short term flips. So those are just different strategies. Some people have been wildly successful at short term flips, but there's certainly nothing wrong with your strategy either. So it's a really smart way of doing things. Yeah, I would definitely do some research in that area. Uh, that that would be my advice to him is uh, check out what all of the other houses are going for. How many of them are empty? What's uh, 
uh, well, he, he, what's the retention rate? It sounds like he kind of did. I mean, it sounds like a strong rental market, which is what we're dealing with everywhere. I mean, our, our rental market here is crazy. You can't get rentals. I mean, you, you just. Yeah, I just make sure to do it. I just make sure to do it as long as I can afford it if the person didn't pay rent. That's, you know, just, that's uh, make, a, make sure that you've got yes. plenty of uh, that's room the, to play. Yeah, that's but yeah the, that, that the, was the only. Oh, no, I agree. That's the bigger issue here. Can you handle those, all the problems that come with rental real estate? But I, I think he's already kind of made up his mind that he's willing to do that. And after talking about it, this property seemed like it might have some potential. Let's go to Georgia. Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, I'm uh, 50, fixing to be 51 years old in September. I didn't start investing until a year, about a year and a half ago. Um, should I stay in it or yes. get my money out and yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. What? At, at fifty one, I'd stay in it. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to make sure if I made a mistake by going ahead and trying to get in and making any money out of it or not. No. At at, at fifty one, I'd be dollar cost averaging into the market month after month after month, and you've got, you know, you've got at least fifteen years. Um, you know, okay. so yeah, you've got time um, to make it back. We've we've already lost, you know, a pretty good chunk of value. So you're already buying, you know, stocks at a discount. They're going to keep going down. I, I, I don't doubt that yeah. at all. But I, I think that for you, I would just keep putting money in every month. Uh, so what, what about the I-bonds? Uh, stay away from that or no absolutely yeah absolutely go do go take advantage of the i-bond right now and where do i go to to get those just do an online search for i-bond you'll find tons of sites that walk you right through them step by step okay all right hey uh i'm i'm uh in with e-trade you don't know if they do that or not i would probably have to call it in wouldn't i yeah give them a call they can probably help you with it now the okay. i the, uh, i appreciate it, Kevin. the, the oh, i bonds itself i believe you have to buy directly through the government oh okay okay all right is there a certain period of time that i have to keep those or uh is that just like a Not that you have to, but uh, how long you hold them does affect your return. And they'll explain all of that in the tutorials I've read online. Oh, okay. All right. I appreciate it, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Wisconsin this time. Jason, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. Um, Just a question here about oil. Uh, I got a brand new Volvo. Uh, company truck, but they kind of let me take care of it like uh, it's my truck, you know, not that I'm putting a hundred thousands of dollars, but um, they told me that the new oils you don't have to change, because Volvo you don't have to change about 50000 but the shop I take it to at the one terminal, they said change it at twenty because they're telling me there's no break-in oil anymore, but the shop says I would change it at 20000 the first initial oil change. So that was my question. Do I go with their telling me to fifty thousand, or do I well, go are, with the shop? Are, are we only are we only talking about the first oil change, or are we talking about all oil changes? Um, 
they said all oil changes go at 50,000, but they, the shop that I take it to, they said the first one I do at 20,000 just to get, you know, in case there's stuff in there from Wait, initially breaking it, in. That, that, that can't hurt. Um, we actually talk about sometimes just a thousand miles. Sometimes a couple okay. hundred, put some oil in it after, you know, it's built or new or rebuilt and go run it a couple hundred miles, take that oil out and start over again. So 20,000 isn't going to hurt. Um, it's not too early. I okay, just, yeah, I, they have, but they have no problem. yeah, I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to do every oil change at 20,000. No, no. And I, I, I do, I don't know if they do an oil analysis, so I will have to ask them, but they I don't know that they don't do that. Yeah, they don't. I, I can. Yeah, I can promise you they don't. Okay. Okay. Well, I love your show and drive the night. The wife nuts with destination health stuff and everything. She thinks <laughs> we're best friends the way I talk about you. So. <laughs> so. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Thanks for all the right, call. Kevin, Great stuff. Oh, good. We're uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. Um, we will see you back here tomorrow for the power hour in the pit. I haven't heard from Stanford and John yet, but we'll uh, we'll find out either way. Uh, I'll be doing the pit tomorrow. Uh, in fact, I'll be working on that show the rest of today, probably. So we will see you then. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.